Hello, and welcome to the Property Solopreneur podcast, a show for property investors and developers who want to build and grow their own profitable businesses. I'm sharing with you my decades of property experience and interviewing many other successful property people who are happy to share their varied and priceless knowledge freely. Business doesn't need to be hard and nor do you need to be lucky. But as a certified strategist, I know you need a plan to work to. And a good start is by listening to other people's successes and failures. Why reinvent the wheel? This allows us to have a more in-depth knowledge of the wider property world. Welcome to this week's episode of The Property Solopreneur. And I think it's a good moment to remind ourselves that most of us working in property are working on our own. It's all too easy to go to an inspiring talk by someone who's been in the industry a long time, done an awful lot of things, owned an awful lot of property, and to think, that was inspiring, but slightly depressing at the same time, because I don't think I'll ever be able to do that. Well, part of the reason is that you are a solopreneur, and they have got offices full of people, full of people that they're having to pay, full of people they're having to organize, do the HR for, feed them jobs all the things in a nutshell that you decided you didn't want to be involved in when you became a solopreneur. Now, I work with all sizes of solopreneur businesses, and I know for a fact that working on your own doesn't stop you earning the income that you want. It doesn't stop you creating the lifestyle that you want, and it doesn't stop you becoming financially free. But how your company runs and how you spend your days, well, none of that happens by accident. Some of us really have difficulty in setting goals. Other people are actually doing the breakdown of the goals so you know what your deliverables are. And some of us, frankly, can't get a plan together at all. We're too busy in the action. Well, that's where I come in. If any of that resonates with you, reach out through the social media links below or go to racheltroughton.com and I spell my name Rachel with an A-E-L and book a, a Zoom call with me and let's get your property business firing on all cylinders and getting you delivering your property goals again, the one you, the ones that you first thought of or the ones that you said you were going to do last year and haven't quite got round to doing. Now, today, I asked on to the show Flora Russo, who is a solopreneur, spinning plates wildly. She sources for clients as well as building her own portfolio, and she doesn't work near home. And she's definitely seeing life change and get busier because she's had a small baby. She's had to become razor clear on what she does, what services she provides for clients, and what she has to outsource to key people who she has interviewed and put into place and who work for someone else and get paid by someone else. She's a solopreneur. And as I say, that's the reason I've got her to come on today and tell her story. Well, welcome to the Property Solopreneur, Flora. Who are you and what do you do? Good morning, Rachel. First of all, thank you for having me here. So I am Flora. I am originally from Italy, but I moved to the UK 10 years ago. And I am a property investor and a property sourcer. Fantastic. So as you say, you didn't start off in the property world. You came from IT, was it? That's correct. Yeah. So IT sales background for 10 years. And then you got you got the property bug. But I, I understand from because we've had previous conversations, of course, that property wasn't your number one when you you left corporate. You thought you were going to run a wine bar, didn't you? That's very true. (laughs) 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 Very two different things, as you can imagine. So red one is uh, yeah. So red one is one of my passions. I love it. I don't know, but just love it. 
And uh, when I was looking for my next adventure, I was like, okay, let's do something that I really like. So why not something wine-related? So I actually done a bit of a business plan, you know, trying to figure out if uh, it was something that would have made sense in London, you know, competition and so on and so forth. And then to be honest, what put me off was like the fact that I was looking for more time for myself, more freedom, more flexibility. And that was not the right business to get into because that would have been a disaster working on weekends, working long hours, evenings, and so on and so forth. So I abandoned the idea of that. <laughs> but you went on, but you know, again, that just shows A, you had good business skills and you'd worked out the downside. Uh, and I think people who come into property don't sometimes realize that you do have to have all these boundaries about time and everything, or, you know, property can become all in all consuming, can't it? But you went and learnt how to do it first, didn't you, before you took the plunge? What, where did you go? What did you do? What did you learn? Yeah, I actually tell you something that it didn't come up during our conversation, but then I thought about it. So when I quit my IT career, uh, I went traveling for a while and uh, I went to Australia and I was talking to a couple of friends who actually moved there to Brisbane from Edinburgh. And what they were doing was actually renting out their flat on Airbnb and they were kind of making money or at least, you know, covering the, mar- the mortgage, the expenses and whatever. So I came back to the UK. I was like, great, I'm going to buy a couple of flats in Edinburgh and <laughs> that's what they're going to do. And then I look at the prices and I was like, this is not going to happen because I don't have the money to do so. So I abandoned that idea as well. And then I don't know if it was law of attraction or whatever. I started getting on my Facebook feeds, these uh, mindset, self-development seminar, two hours, you know, free seminar, whatever. And I went to a few with my husband, actually. And all of them were talking about property investing, creating a passive income through property investing. And that's what intrigued me. And that's how everything started. So from the a uh, free seminar I went to pay for a proper uh, property property training and uh, they gave me the knowledge. You know, I'm not from here. I'm not familiar with, I don't know, the regulation, for example. I don't know what's needed to get a mortgage here or... But I don't, I don't think anyone is. That's the great thing. So much in property is, oh God, I don't know that. Where do I find the information? Yeah. And once you've done it, you go, well, that was pretty obvious. That's not actually very difficult. Let's get going. But you then had the, you then had the knowledge and then you got to find somewhere. Do you live in London? Yes, correct. I do. So was London where you decided to invest? No, because I couldn't afford it, of course. So I picked a strategy that was actually buy-to-lets and sourcing. So London was not feasible, 100%. They teach you during these trainings to stay an hour far from where you live. An hour from London is still London. So that didn't work neither. So I started... <laughs> <laughs> so I started, I started doing some area searches and funnily enough, I came to Stockholm Trend that I'm sure you're familiar with it really well. Very familiar. Yes. So I think I've been there three times. I was doing viewings. I actually created some good connections, but I don't know, inside I just felt that was not the right area for me. I don't know. It was just a gut feel. So I thought, well, for once that I can really choose where I can work, why not picking a different place that feels Right. So back home, back on the laptop, let's go very far. I had time in my hands because I didn't have a job at the time. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go far 
and that far was Newcastle. One day on the laptop, and then I book a train ticket because I get bored of doing all of these, you know, admin things. I was like, I'm going to go there. I'm going to figure it out myself. And that was interesting because they speak a different language up there. I'm sure you know that. Yeah, well. I do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that was quite an interesting experience for me, having conversation with people, not understanding a word about what they were saying, but... I kind of made it work somehow. <laughs> yes, so you 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 started to get the feeling that this might be the right kind of area. Yes, I actually liked it. I liked it a lot. I liked the people. Everyone was really friendly. You know, coming from London is kind of an unu- unusual thing. But um, unfortunately, uh, I've done the first few viewings. I crunched the numbers and were not really working for me. Yeah, so, but you know, you have to try. So I moved down a little bit. And I stick to Sunderland. So that was my first goldmine area. Lovely. And you got going. And and had you had money? Did you do it on your own or did you have a joint venture partner? Uh, so actually, my first deal was with a JV partner that was kind of a random thing, I would say. So I met him through these property trainings and uh, he had a deal available. It was in the area that I was quite familiar with. And I decided to to go for it with him. So I put the money. I had a bit of money left from the previous job. Uh, he had the, the knowledge, I would say, and the experience. So I thought that for me was actually a good way to, you know, get into the game and learn the process yep. and get it by myself. So, yeah, I stepped into it pretty soon, I would say. And that was a flip, was it? No, it was actually a buy-to-let. That was a buy-to-let. So you're still, are you still holding that one? No because of different reasons. But well, uh, this this is something that I don't think people realize sometimes is you can change your mind. You can change things. So that was, you held it to begin with. Yeah. And then you flipped that and you've left that one, but you've gone on to do more property. Yeah, um, correct. Yeah. And so once you got going, how did you suddenly then morph into sourcing as well? Because you run these two things parallel, don't you? Yes, that's correct. So I was spending a couple of weeks every month in the Northeast because, you know, you have to create the connections. You, I, I really wanted this to work. So I had to put the time into the business, but I was getting to the point where I was having more offers accepted than I could have bought. So I thought, well, how can I monetize this instead of letting these properties go? I can help others actually to build their own portfolios. And that's why I got into another training, the sourcing training, to get fully compliant, understand how to do things properly. And and that's how I started as well. Yeah. And of course, the, the great thing about sourcing is that you... It opens, I think, lots of different avenues because, as you say, A, you can say yes all the time to the agents and the vendors because you know you've got a pipeline of people who are going to buy it. Secondly, you get that nice little wadge of cash, which is the next um, you know, the next deposit, so you can buy the next one. But also you meet people that can either JV with you or loan you money, can't you? So it's a winner on so many levels. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Is uh, you you cover all the aspects, and of course, it's very it's very good for people who want to build portfolio but don't have time in their hands, you know. So they can rely on people like us that we've done all the legwork already. Essentially, you know, <laughs> we can facilitate <laughs> the you know progress into the property world. <laughs> and you, so you started to build your own portfolio as well. Now, some people are quite wary of having a portfolio a long way away from your home. I don't. I have two that are separate from me. Have you found it any problem or do you, is it just normal for you? 
It's totally normal for me. I mean, I'm trying to be seriously as passive as I can. And people say that it's very difficult to be passive in property. And I agree. But at the end of the day, if you got someone who managed the portfolio for you and involved, I mean, engage with you when you have to pay invoices or you have to, <laughs> you have to agree on a maintenance or repairs, or whatever, it's fine. It can really be anywhere. I'm not a control freak neither. So, you know, I don't have to be there. I don't think I've seen the last few houses that I bought neither. I know I can rely hundred percent on my project manager who's actually, actually my letting agent as well. So that's, okay. uh, you know, yeah. that's really good because if he's going to do a bad job, it's going to be difficult for him to run the place. So I'm sure that he will excel as he always did. So yeah, no, no problem at all having it far. Well, that's, that's all, I, you know, it is, it is a mindset thing, isn't it? You've got to be very relaxed about the fact that you are hands-off. So it means you do more work at home. You've got to keep your, your numbers and you've got to make sure your paperwork's all in order and it, it just works. But it comes back to that thing you, you dropped into the conversation when you go about contacts. You, yeah. you must've done a lot of legwork early on to find the people you wanted to work with. What made you discard someone actually more than think, oh, I could work with this one? That's a very good question. <laughs> so first of all, to start with the training that I did. So I was trying to connect to as many people as I could, people that were actually in my area, yep. or people who knew someone in my area. I was also attending a lot of local networking events. So that's very good because you can find tradespeople or you can, it's such a small community up there that everyone knows everyone. So if yeah. a builder is not good, you're going to know that, right? And then of course, you're going to work with some that you think they were good, but they were not anymore any, anyway. But you know, that's uh, so, something that you have to accept. They go off the boil, don't they? They go off the boil sometimes, yes. Yeah, I think we. I think they get comfortable, to be honest. So they just don't get the fact that they can make good money out of sourcing agents, for example. Or yeah, and uh, yeah, they just get comfortable, and instead of providing high quality products, they just um, start not bothering anymore. <laughs> but that's the time when you have to move to a different one, right? So start networking yeah. again. Start you know talking to people who are in the same game, doing the same things and uh, get their contacts and uh, start again. I say presumably also you have a, a very clear idea of what it is you want to buy and do to each of the properties. I mean, so for those of us who are down south um, and haven't ventured north, what kind of numbers are we talking about? What what do you buy houses for typically? I'll give you just a very simple example. So I would say average for a two-bedroom be two terrace house, it could be around £65,000 uh, yep. and for a three seventy five. And are those in good conditions or are you going to work on them? Uh, it depends, to be honest. For me, I qualify them based on what my clients are looking for and what I'm looking for. So I always want a little bit of refurbishment. I actually don't mind heavy refurb neither if the numbers work. Uh, so I'll give you an example of one that I bought last year it was 71K. Uh, yeah. This was a massive house. It was like a four bedroom mid terrace. Oh yeah. But I spent 30, 35 refurb. Yeah, but it should be worth a hundred forty plus, and it rents for nine hundred pounds a month. So that's uh, really good. But yeah, I mean, sixty five, you can still do a light refurb, five thousand. You know the usual things: carpet yeah. and decoration, and maybe the the kitchen and the bathroom. And then you can still rent it out and getting a ten percent yield. 
8 10% yield is good. Which is good, isn't it? And and the fact is that if you get a tenant that's long term, you've got no voids and no repeat fees and all that sort of thing. So or, are you, because you're working up north, I used to find, um, because I now buy houses not quite as, as run down as I used to, that sometimes it was actually quite difficult getting funding on them because they were so cheap in the big scheme of things. Do you find that? Yes. So I actually have a few of those that I bought at the beginning because I was buying them a personal name. So that's a different game, yep. you know, because the, the numbers for lenders are totally different. Um, so when I come across that kind of properties before closing the final negotiation, I talk to my clients because I can't buy them anymore for myself because I won't be able to refinance them. But there are clients that still can. So I have a conversation with them to understand if uh, they have scope to buy them. Uh, and then I go yep. back to the, the, the negotiation. Otherwise, uh, unfortunately, I have to let them go. So do you never fancy just sticking some money in your company and, uh, you know, buying them for cash and then remortgaging them after that? Yeah, yeah, of course I do that. The problem is that if they are so cheap and you can't really add a, um, you can't really add value. Yeah, for the mortgage threshold, it's not going to work. And I can't take the risk because I work with investors' money. So I have to be able to pull this money out in order to go again. Or pay them back. But for someone who can, that is, that's a good idea of being able to get a, a, a you know, because if you can buy some of these really cheap houses for cash and they can't remortgage, they become really good cash cows. Yeah. So I had, I had clients who couldn't buy them because they were on, uh, they couldn't be mortgaged because they were too near a mine shaft because Stoke-on-Trent is a mining area. Um, so, that, you know, I had clients who, who, were, who didn't want mortgages. Uh, to them, buying investment properties from, with a mortgage was madness. They wanted a nice sort of, you know, thirty-five, forty thousand pound house. It would bring in sort of just under five hundred pounds a month, day in, day out, job done. Yeah. Um, and so that does bring home the fact that as a, as a sourcer, you are working with other people's expectations and other people's ideas, which may not be the same as yours, but you still got to find the, the property for them, haven't you? Yeah, 100%. And to be honest, based on what you just said, I've got clients that don't care about refinancing or putting a mortgage on the property after the six months. So as you said, they just enjoy the high cash flow until they decide what yeah. to do with the property. So it, it's really down to them. I had clients now that want turnkey properties so they don't want to do any kind of refurbishment that a few years ago was unheard of you know everyone wanted to refer yeah. heavy whatever and now they just want cash flow from day one so i guess you know everyone's investment requirements everyone's strategy change with time so that's they do. What- and also the market they also the market changes some people so you know i've been doing this for a long time and i did have clients who love property love what it gave them. But as you say, they weren't interested in refurbs. They weren't interested in you know, making things more valuable. What they wanted to do was bank money, getting it out of the banks, putting it into bricks and mortar, an instant return, which was fantastic. And they wanted it in something that um, was going to hold its value if the market fell. So they were parking you know, sizable sums, you know, they were over a hundred grand, which in Stoke is a very smart property. But they, and this was a while ago, they they were parking that money, knowing that if there was a fire sale, they'd bought a house that would never drop in value. They could do anything they liked with it. And that is, that's as a saucer, I have to say that was a lot of fun because you weren't looking for the the dreadful place. You were looking like 
a bit more quality. So you might you might want to have a look and see if you can find some lovely customers like that. I loved them. They were fun. I was going to say, it sounds like a perfect <laughs> client, right? <laughs> as soon as I had, I don't care about refinancing. I'm like, okay, you're on the book. <laughs> Let's work together. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, and I had a I had a client who, who just every year used to ring me up and go, I've had another bonus. Yeah. Can I spend again? You know, and it's it's a no-brainer. Yes, what do you want this time? And off we go. So, but also I know in your part of the world, like Stoke, you've got clients who are LHA customers, which I know you like them, so do I. It frightens the life out of some people. Why why is it that you like LHA customers? To me, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. It's just about the numbers and the security, you know. If I know that they can pay maybe directly the landlord, you know, and uh, they have no issues, uh, they are clear in terms of records and uh, they pass um, the screening with the, the letting agent or the council, why not? You know, I, I do like the idea. I mean, at the end of the day, of course, we do this for the money, for the freedom, for the flexibility, but I do this to help people as well. And these are the people that maybe really need the help. Some clients are totally, um, they totally disagree with that. So for them, it's a no-go and it's fair enough because everyone is different. Uh, others are more open to the idea. The thing that I don't really do is to convince them or push them to go for something that is not really what they're looking for. Because at the end of the day, is that business, is that houses? And I don't want to, I don't know. I don't want to get them in, into something that they're not really sure about, to be honest. I'm not pushy. I'm not, Absolutely. I don't like Clients, when you're sourcing, have got to feel completely confident that you understand them, haven't they? And that you know that you are giving them absolutely what they want. Now, one of the things that I, I would say is that um, how do investors find someone like you? I had a conversation this morning. It was a, it couldn't have been better times with an accountability group, and we were talking about finding sources. And one person popped up and said, "Oh, I found this amazing sourcer. I found them online." And it turned out she knew nothing about them, never seen them. They could have been just a fictitious photograph and name. How do people find you? What do you find they ask when they first meet you or you have a Zoom with them? What kind of questions do they ask? I think, okay, so social media, I think, is the answer, how they find me now, especially with the COVID, you know, social media became a big thing, so more than in person because it was in, it was impossible to meet people. Now we're back in rooms, so, so you know it's, it's good talking again face to face because it's it's just a different feel. You can just establish a relationship, yeah. build yeah something very quick with someone that you actually like and you you know if you can work together already. Uh, otherwise, they're hundred percent social media, so people. People spy on people, <laughs> so they <laughs> they check what they do, they follow them, they try to figure out if yeah it, it works, it could work for them in terms of strategy and uh, personality as well. Because at the end of the yes, day, people buy from feeling, don't you? You don't. I I can't work with that person. Or yes, this is going to be great. And Rachel, it's so good to to do that. To be honest, you know, at the beginning I was getting anyone, you know, to build my client base, and now. I'm like, no, I don't think we can work together. I don't think I'm the right person to help you doing what you want to. It's just because personality clash or, you know, just um, different values. And-, and it is about values aligning. And also, I think there is so much money in property and so much profit. And there is this perception from the outside world that property is really easy and it's money for old rope. And they don't realize that things can go wrong. I mean, have you ever had something go wrong? Oh, yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> what shall I start from? <laughs> now, I guess it's part of any business, you know? It's not like when you work for someone, still things go wrong, especially if you're in sales, you know? A deal doesn't, it doesn't come through because the client has changed his mind. And when you run a property business, it's the same thing. So from JV partners that maybe were not as good on paper as they're supposed to be from, you know, refurbishment went over budget because of reasons that no one could have spotted before anything seriously. But yeah, that's a very good point, actually, is this, um, there is an assumption from those who don't really do property. They may own it, but they don't do property that, you know, when you walk into a building that you are sourcing, that you're going to be able to go, yep, that's, that's a problem. That's a problem. That's a problem. We can solve all that. But it's actually not till the builders get in there and start removing the wallpaper or removing a wall that, or even, I mean, I had, I had a house where the electrics looked great. I, yeah. you know, I know what I'm looking at. But when the electricians got in there and they took the consumer board lid down, they realized that, yeah, it all was fine except the skirting board. And the previous owner had cut all the electrics because he'd just, all he'd done was wire up the consumer board. There was no electrics. You know, the lights went on, but that was about it. And so it is one of those things I had to go back and explain to my client that, you know, we'd been we'd been right royally shafted almost, as you would say, by someone who knew what they were doing and probably did it again and again and we did warn the agents. But there are things that happen, aren't there? Yeah. I'm glad you're saying that because this is seriously down to experience, I guess, you know, because I, I don't know what how your client reacted, but some of my clients would have pulled out, although they have experience or they say they have experience. And for me, it's like, okay, well, you know, maybe the numbers are not great as before, but it's still a good property that I'm going to hold a long time. So I'm going to go ahead with it. I mean, I had it personally on my houses, you know, where refurbishment were 30K and ended up 37. Fine. Yes. Over the long term, that's really not going to be a problem. And it, it is the understanding about you need to have that buffer cushion, don't you, for all eventualities, because something will happen. I and mean, the client who had that happen to me, I was doing the house for them, thought it was hilariously funny. Uh, you know, because a lot of my clients, they live vicariously through what I was doing for them. And they would I knew that would keep them in dinner party stories for years to come. And they came, they got on the train and came up and took photographs and were just going, This is amazing. I'm you know, this person must have gone to an endless trouble to make this look good. So, you know, it is I knew them very well by the time I finished working with them. That it is about knowing your clients and just having fun and also holding long term. So have you got a 10 year plan? No. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> you're in the you're in the moment constantly, are you? Where are you going to go? I'm very bad with planning long term. It's something that I probably should work on. I don't know. I can't do it. It's just I think it's a mental uh, block I have. So I can't I can't say about 10 years. I can probably say next year. <laughs> well, this year. 2024, let's say that I think 2024 for me will be, I will shift my attention, let's say, to grow my portfolio even more. So this year I kind of focus on the sourcing side because, you know, I had the baby. So I was kind of back in the property business and I wanted to get some cash and re reconnect to my clients with my clients. Next year, still sourcing on the side 100% because as you mentioned, it goes on parallel, but at the same time, building more for myself because at the end of the day that's the end game you know i love sourcing you have, you have got a plan then you I do. <laughs> and also i've been recently to a title splitting training 
And uh, maybe that's something that I should consider down here in London. I live in Southeast now and there are massive properties that are freehold. So I think I will start exploring that strategy as well down here. But you see, I have to say, I, I've always used title splitting really successfully in oh, yeah? my lower areas. Yes. Oh, interesting. And with yeah. So I've often found that I've picked up buildings. I mean, I can think of one straight off the top of my head that if you if you bought the whole building, which I had to do, it was worth, I think, about 60000 Inside, there was a ground floor flat, one bedroom ground, and a two bedroom up door flat. But they'd never been title split. So they had to be sold as a unit. And all I had to do was get the paperwork sorted out. And I suddenly had a downstairs flat that came free because, well, you know, the downstairs was worth, I think, about 60. The upstairs one then went out at 80. And for a bit of paperwork. And that's the fun thing, you know, to suddenly have two incomes or I kept both of those, but sometimes I only keep, and other times I've kept one of the flats, kept it as free and sold the next one on. And it's just paid for the whole thing which is fabulous. So title splitting is is a really fun thing in, in areas that you think are low value. Interesting, interesting. You see, you are opening uh, my mind yeah. in the idea to stick into the Northeast and maybe <laughs> checking out the strategy. I worked with a client who loved for me to find him end of terrace properties where the yeah. back door went onto a different street. And then he could convert the, the property to being two flats. And with the new potential laws coming in, you know, with permitted development rights with flats and all the rest of it, that suddenly you've got lots of lovely strategies that all interconnect with one another. Yeah. And when you, when you know how to do all these things, oh, it's like being in a sweetie shop. It really is. It's true. So like, I think you're going to have great fun with that. Now, you, I know, don't do boredom. You're always on the go. You've always got something. Even your little person isn't really, you've had a small amount of time off, but you're back in, in the um, the fold. What do you say to people who go, oh, yeah, I love property. I really want to do it. And they just can't get going. What what would you say you need to do first? So some, proper, some people actually, uh, they think they need tons of knowledge, you know, they just uh, go to trainings and read books and read on the internet, whatever, and they don't do anything. So for me, his take actions. So, okay, you got the knowledge, but if you don't put it in place, you're not going to figure out what the real life is because we can, you know, study as much as you can, but then what happens is different. <laughs> yeah. Very different sometimes. So I would say, yeah, still get educated, but then take actions, you know, Maybe don't do like me, quitting your job and starting it, uh, starting the property. Yeah, it was quite bold, yes. Yeah, <laughs> it was not really related though. So I just decided not to find another job to make this work. But, you know, that's me. And uh, luckily enough, not everyone is like me. <laughs> but I would say keep your job because that will give you like the, it will be your safe net, you know. So And psychologically as well, you will feel safer instead of having this constant, you know, feeling of, how about if something is going to go wrong? You know, what am I going to do? So keep your job, do this on the side, rely on people maybe that have done it already. So don't be afraid of asking questions, ask for help, because this could be a very lonely place to be, you know? Yeah. So go to networking events, connect to people, ask for help. What I did actually that helped me a lot was shadowing investors. Yeah. So I knew a couple of them that were going for viewings and I just asked, can I come along? 
I want to see how you conduct the viewing. How do you talk to agent? What questions do you ask? What do you look at when you view a property? This is all knowledge that it's insane, you know, what you can get out of that. So just ask. Yeah, and and do what you think is right because if you don't, you're gonna regret it. So yes, you are because you'll never really get going. And did you find that there was a big mindset switch for you when you left corporate because you were no longer under an umbrella? It was you, Flora. That's it. You know, did you find that quite a difference? And different and difficult because I had a boss before who was telling me what to do, and then I was my own boss telling myself what to do, <laughs> that was a bit different. I struggle sometimes still now, to be honest, you know, uh, sometimes I go um, off track because things happen in life, like having a baby just, you know, messed up with everything. And now I'm working on my mindset again. So yeah, it's, uh, it's challenging. You have to be strong. You have to mot- motivate yourself. Accountability group that you nominate before is actually a very good thing. I used to have an accountability partner. Well, now I go others actually, where we share our goals, uh, our, what we've been doing, and we kind of commit to each other on the next steps. That is, uh, you know, you feel like that if you're not going to do it, is it, it would feel bad, right? <laughs> it's very easy to get into, oh, I can do that tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly you've gone a month and six months and you haven't done very much. And I, that is something that I think many people who come from corporate life struggle with because you haven't got that boss poking you, have you? You've got to have, and you almost have to go, right, what worked for me in corporate? Now, let me put that into my own business. So did I respond really well to challenges, KPIs, keeping myself accountable? Yeah, that's what I've got to do. That's what I've got to put in there. Was I really good at being told we had a six-year plan? This is what we've got to work at. Yeah, that was me. So do it again. It's about replicating the good things, isn't it? That's absolutely correct. And I always been in account management as well. So probably that's why I love the sourcing side of the business. So uh, looking after the client, be sure that they're happy and retain them as well. So for me, communication, for example, is really important and uh, be, be sure that things are done as they want to, because I want them to come back and do more business with me. So I think that's something that comes from that background, of course. Yes. But it is, it is about also knowing yourself and being true to yourself, isn't it? Yeah. Because... When you're a solopreneur, there is only you. The buck stops with you. Yeah. And uh, I mean, what I had to understand as well is that not everyone works like me, of course. You know, we're all different. We all have different way of working and different way of working together as well. So adapt the expectations, I think, as well, uh, based on the people you work with. Like, uh, of course, a builder can't manage a client the way I will, but that's why I'm there for the client, you know? So don't get. Yeah, I was going to say it is about knowing where where it all can fall down, and that's your role, isn't it, to keep all the plates in the air. Yes. Now you 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 work incredibly hard, but you knew perfectly well because I know that your father sadly died, and that was a real motivator for you because you and I know that when we spoke once before, you just went, I just wish I could get across to other people that there may not be a tomorrow. If you've got a good idea and you want to do this, you've got to do it now, haven't you? Yeah, 100%. And that's why I can't plan 10 years in advance. That's the main reason why. I mean, my dad died in two days and was the type of person that wanted to do, wanted to live his life when he was going to retire. And it never made to that retirement, you know. So for me, it's like, okay, let's stop. Let's live the life now because now is the time. 
And then we'll think, we, we still have to think about the future, but not too much. But it is, it is about going, uh, but interestingly, it's not about going, well, we might not be here tomorrow. So today we're going to play. It's, it is about going, well, if you want to play, we can play today, but we've also got to work really, really hard. And if the opportunity comes, we grasp it with both hands and go and do it, which, you know, you've definitely done because it took you time to set this all up, but you're reaping the benefits now, aren't you? Very much. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Yeah. And I know that, you know, sadly we can't talk forever, but I know that the idea of a wine bar has never really gone away, has it? <laughs> and one of the things that I love about uh, property, and I was at a networking meeting on Monday, and there were so many of us who've been around a long time, and we were all going, you know, property is something we do because it allows us to do something else that we really, really, really enjoy you know, and that's time freedom for me, a lot for a lot of people, and the ability is to do what we want to do in in our own lives. But you might well be thinking, well, I can make a lot of money in property, which you're clearly doing now, and I will be able to have my wine bar, but I won't run it. I can get someone else to run it. That's very true, and maybe it's not going to be in London either. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> it's, but that's the fun of property, isn't it? Because not- you can. It's money you can earn. And you said very early on that it was about passive income. And and actually, property is never truly passive. But nowhere can you get money, making money with you. Because none of us do equity rolling up. Once you set that that property on on its way, it goes on improving. It's amazing, isn't it? It is. It is. And yeah, it is. And to be honest, I mean, to buy a house, you have just to sign up paperwork, you know, and uh, organize who has to do what. But then one is let it out. One is let it out. I mean, it's a letting agent dealing with it. So I think it's pretty passive, to be honest. It takes time to build the portfolio, of course, 100%. And it's much less passive than other businesses, I guess. And yes, so. it's relative, isn't it? I mean, you you can't get the returns. Even if you were to take all the money you earned in property and gave it to a wealth manager to invest in stocks and shares, you would still have to discuss with them regularly about what's going on. You'd have to look at the paperwork. If you want to make money, you've got to be prepared to put some time in, haven't you? 100%, yes. Yes. <laughs> well, you're clearly absolutely enjoying where you're working. Now, where do people find you? Because you mentioned social media. Where can people who are listening to this go, oh, where, where is Flora? How do I find her? Uh, yeah, of course. Well, I would say probably Instagram is the best and easier way. Flora Russo Property. So my name, my last name and property. And then, of course, on LinkedIn and Facebook as well, Pam. Yeah, Instagram would be a good first, you know. Uh, and the links will be in, in the show notes and things. So people will be able to find you. Flora, thank you so much for finding time because with a very little person that you have and a, a business which is quite a many hours away, you don't waste your time. So thank you very much for having time today to talk to us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you for listening to The Property Solopreneur with me, Rachel Troughton. If you've enjoyed this episode, do hit subscribe and kindly leave a review and share this podcast with anyone you think it would help on their property journey. If you'd like to get hold of my guide for building a successful property business, go to racheltroughton.com forward slash checklist. We only live one life. So let's get your dream a reality through building a profitable property business.